You know, when I was a, a young pastor, one of the things, I, I, I was uh, associate pastor in, uh, in, in the, right in the heart of Seattle, Washington. It was a, kind of a ghetto area, and, and uh, one of the things that the senior pastor assigned me to do one day a week was to go and make some house calls uh, with some of the families of the church. And I remember I got the list, and I remember thinking, oh man, these first seven families are just, they're going to be tough, man. I know their situation, they're falling apart, da, da, da. But what's oddly enough is I, I, I'd, I'd come into their home and they'd show me a lot of hospitality and they really enjoyed the prayer and, uh, you know, they, they were serving in the church. It was wonderful. The, the last family, the eighth family, I remember thinking, oh, man, I know this family. That's awesome, man. I'll, I'll save the best for last and uh, we'll have a great old time. And so I go into their house. And have you ever been to a house where you can just cut the tension with a knife? I mean, this family smiled all the time. They were all the right places. They sat in the right chair. They even sat with good posture, you know. Something we could pray about, Life Point. Just, just, just saying it, you know, something we could pray about. And, and, and I remember going into their house, and it was just like they were wound so tight. I thought something was going to snap at any minute. You ever go in there and you're like, you're, you're, the hairs on your spine, you know, are starting to stand on end. And, and you just get this icky feeling like, man, even though there's a lot of smiling going on, you know, are they like sociopaths or something? You know, I mean, you, you get this like, you know, sooner or later, the cleaver's going to come up in the air, you know, and you're like, ah! And I remember just having this sense of, man, this home is filled with tension. And one of the things I learned from my pastor that day when I debriefed with him is he said, he said, Tom, strife can be a spiritual state of living. You can live in strife. All you have degrees of happiness, all you have degrees of fulfillment, all you have degrees of this, but your, your status quo, your state of living is strife, conflict all around you, fights all around you, having to get your point across all around you, you know, the whole thing. And when I went into the home, I just kind of felt that. I remember feeling like, man, I got I to get out of this. There's just something not right because there was so much strife I could feel. And you know what? We have a lot of justifications for our fights. You know, oh, they didn't agree with me or they didn't, they're arguing with me. Uh, they didn't respect me. They cheated me or... This person made me so angry, I just had to say this, or I didn't get the promotion that this guy got, or you know what? My neighbor parked his brand new RV right outside so the whole neighborhood could see his nice new RV, and here I am driving my 15-year-old beat-up Saturn. <laughs> Speaking of myself. <laughs> or how about this? If they just admitted I was right, we wouldn't be in a fight. That is, wouldn't that be the coolest like chorus to a song? If they just admitted I was right, we would not be in a fight, right? Admit I'm right, there'll be no fight. I say that to Tanya 12 times a day, you know? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, you know? But there's something about that, you know? We want to be right. And the fact of the matter is being right is not really all it's cracked up to be. You can be right and be sleeping on the couch. You can be right 
and nobody comes to your funeral. You know, you can be right and be miserable. In fact, being right is highly overrated. And what God's going to try to tell us through James this morning is, you know, when we trust God, and I say it like that, when we trust God to do it His way and in His time, then what follows us like a magnet is peace. Is peace. When we trust God to do it His way and in His time. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, well, Tom, if I don't stick up for myself, and tell people, and defend myself, well, the world's just going to think I'm a chump. And I don't want to be the world's chump. I want to be the guy that stands up for himself. Well, I can understand that to a point. But there's a story I came across this year that kind of highlights the dangers of taking that too far. Uh, Most of you know I love NFL football. I follow it. Uh, Many of you you break out the Fox News or the CNN in the morning. You want to hear what Trump said and what Hillary said and all this kind of stuff. That, unfortunately, does not interest me very much. But I love reading about football. And earlier this year, I read a very interesting story about Geno Smith. He was the starting quarterback of the New York Jets. He may still be, but something happened this summer, that last summer that affected his life in a big way. One of the reserve linebackers had gotten Gino to come and speak at one of his boys' camps that summer. He had paid for the airline tickets, paid for the limo, paid his fee. Well, Gino, a friend of the family of Gino Smith, got in a motorcycle accident and died the week before the camp. And Gino Smith called and said, you know what, there's really no way I'm going to be able to fulfill this obligation. I need to be here for my family right now. The man was upset. And some words were exchanged. Some more words were exchanged. And some some even more words were exchanged as this linebacker had promised these kids that Geno Smith was going to come. Well, come August, they're in their preseason and they have an exchange of words in the locker room. Now, Geno Smith, he's not, you know, he makes like a million and a half dollars a year. I mean, come on. Who'd want to make that, right? Who of you here would be like, I want to make a million. That's nothing, right? That's chump change. You know, a million and a half dollars? Who would want that? Just raise your hand. You're like, I'd take a million and a half dollars. Oh, you guys are all a bunch of suckers. I'd never take that. (laughs) So the reserve linebacker earns about $600,000 a year. How many of you would want that? Oh, man, that's even worse. You know, a million and a half. I'd at least go for the million and a half. I'd go for the 600, trust me. Yeah. So they get into a conflict in the locker room. And the linebacker grabs his shirt, cocks his fist back, and punches Geno Smith in the face. Broke his jaw. Geno Smith misses the first six games of the regular season. And the reserve linebacker is fired. Now, the linebacker was out $10,000, $12,000. Airline tickets, speaker fees, limos, all that kind of stuff. But really, is not being the chump worth trying to get your ten dollars to $12,000 worth, but you lose your $600,000 job? That's unfortunately where that thought can go. It may start 
a little bit like I'm going to stand up for myself. And all of a sudden, we do things we never dreamed capable of, losing some of the greatest blessings that God has had for us, including $600,000 a year salaries, which would be quite nice. So let's go to James chapter 4. This morning, we're talking about conflicts, all right? Conflicts. James chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, as we go to your word now, I pray you'd open our hearts to just be receiving and open to what you'd say. In Jesus' name, amen. James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. Now, obviously, he's exaggerating a little bit here. Wouldn't be the first pastor to do that. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend it on your pleasures. Now, James is not saying, James is not saying that there is a way to live your life free of conflict. That is impossible. If you are alive and breathing on planet Earth, we will have conflict. Somebody will get mad. Somebody will get hurt. Somebody will misunderstand your motives. It's just going to happen. What he's really saying is when the conflict comes, you have two options. Option number one is the fight like the world. Option number two is the fight like Jesus. All right? Option number one, fighting like the world, often produces the emotional state of bitterness. You may win the fight, but the bitterness is still there and produces a spiritual state of strife. Win one fight, and all of a sudden you want to win all fights. And around you, you can't see it, but everybody else can sense it. It's strife. We know. We know. We can sense it. It's there, even though the person may not be able to sense it. Option number two, fighting like Jesus which produces an emotional state of forgiveness, being able to let it go, being able to forgive, not allowing the conflict to have power over you, and living in a spiritual state of peace. What is James really saying in this first little paragraph? Ultimately, our problem on the surface may look like it's with people, but our problem is with God. You forgot to ask God for it, is what James is saying. You forgot to ask God about it, is what James is saying. The conflict on the surface may look like it's with people, but beneath the conflict is really with God. They asked God, God gave it to them, but God hasn't given it to you yet, and perhaps he never will. But because we sometimes struggle with what God has for us, we go after them. Excuse me. When, when the problem is often, all, not always, but often between us and God, and a lot of times it starts with our feelings. The older I get, I realize I love my feelings and I can't stand my feelings. Sometimes my feelings just 
bring such a euphoria in life and sometimes they can be the biggest destructive force I'm capable of. Because what do feelings do? Feelings often do this. When you get really emotional and you get really negative and all of a sudden you get all these feelings churn up, what happens? Boom, we look at ourselves. We get laser focused on ourselves, our problems, our hurts, our desires, our lack of gratification in some way, and we just begin to look at ourselves. But the problem is we're still swinging, right? If I'm in a fight and I'm swinging with my eyes up, I know who I'm going to hit. But when we get our feelings involved, we're looking down at ourselves, but we're still swinging. I don't know who I'm going to hit. Oh, I just hit this person. Who was Oh, I'm hit. All of a sudden, we're living life and we're like this. We're swinging at everybody, but we're looking at ourselves. Not realizing who we're hurting or who we're affecting. And what does this cause? What is this? People can sense it. It's strife. Strife. People tolerate it after a while, but then they're like, Matt, I like you. You're probably a good guy. I don't want to be around you. There's just conflict that follows you everywhere. And so our emotions can really, you know, really come into play here. But the second thing is, Probably one of the least talked about vices of the human we can have, and that is coveting. Coveting. Coveting is simply this. We want what they have. They got power. We want power. They got wives. Wife. We. I did that the last service, too. I thought I caught that. But, <coughs> but when you write it down, it burns in, you know. We want a wife, you know? They got good health. We want good health, you know? They got good looks. <laughs> we, want <laughs> we want good looks. And two things either happen. Either we want to take it from them so that we can have it, or we want to take it from them so that nobody can have it right? That's the heart of covetous. Because if they can't, if we can't have it, then they can't have it either. In the essence of conflict, listen to me, the essence of all quarrels, fights, conflicts is this. Trying to get what God wants for us without trusting God's ways to get it to us. Trying to get good things that God wants for us without trusting God's ways to get it to us. And so we quarrel and we fight. James says sometimes we're even driven to kill. He goes on, he says in James chapter 4 verse 6, this is why the scripture says that God, you know, I want to read this. I want, I, want, I want to read this. I want us to get this. Sometimes there are sections of Scripture so powerful, I'd almost rather not preach in them. I'd rather read them and just let them ride. I want to let these ride. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 7, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come 
near to you. Wash your hands. Purify your hearts. Double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. For there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. So who are you to judge your neighbor? What's James saying? First of all, when we fight like the world, the devil is always involved at some level. Now, I'm not saying that all your enemies are demon-possessed, even though you might think they are, right? I get that, you know? We always want to think that they're just so full of the enemy and we're so full of God, and now the conflict has become a struggle between God and the enemy, right? All right, you got you to understand. The enemy is involved in some levels between, in the conflict, the second thing that happens, though, is we often begin to distance ourselves from God. It is very hard for me to hate my neighbor and be close to God. The Bible says it's almost impossible for you to hate, have hatred for your neighbor and to be close to God. So all of a sudden, we push God all the way out to Pluto so that we can satisfy our emotions and our feelings and our affirmation. And we're just going to go, we're going to fight, and we're going to win, and we won't be the chump. When God's way out in Pluto going, hey, stop, stop, you may win today, but I'm seeing the full orb of your life. This is not what you want to invite. You don't want to invite this bitter pill into your soul. But he's so far away, we can't hear it anymore. Number three, our hands become unclean in a fight as honorable as your motives may have been to start it when you're in it you'd be amazing at how cheap and unfair you can get i grew up in a very violent city i I probably was three or four years old when i got my first major fight and it was a way of life almost to high school and i can tell you this they may start honorably But by the end, you're biting, scratching, throwing rocks. It's awful. It gets gets nasty. And that's, 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 that's what happens when we give so much power to this conflict over us. Our hearts can get dark and dirty, swelling with hatred and retaliation. One time when I was younger, I was probably about maybe seven or eight, uh, I was playing on a playground. My mom was there. We were, we were just playing at a park playground. Mom was there. And I must have done something to this kid. And he comes up, pushes me down, gets on top of me, and just starts going bam, bam, bam on my face. And uh, my mom comes. My mom. Uh, I'm saying this in front of you. <laughs> my mom comes and pulls the boy off of me. Okay? And she picks me up. And she, I remember she uh, got all the wood chips or whatever off me. And my eye felt like it was going to explode. He'd give me my first black eye. I mean, it just, I remember that boom. I could feel it with my heartbeat. I remember thinking, oh my gosh, this hurts so bad, you know. And, and, and I remember just the pain. 
And she's yelling at the kid. And all of a sudden, I look at the kid. And I just began to swell with hatred and anger. And my hands became fists. And I just pushed my mom aside. And I just like an animal went and just started fighting this kid. You want to know what happened? The pain in my eye went away for a moment. As all that adrenaline filled, it was gone for a moment. But you know what happened after it was all over? It came back. All that night, I sat there with a steak over my eye or a cucumber, whatever it was, prob probably an ice pack. <laughs> but two things happened out of that. First of all, my eye still hurt. Second of all, I would always be looking over my shoulder now, wouldn't I? Always be looking over my shoulder at that park, on the sidewalk, everywhere around town. Because now he was an enemy. And who knows when him and his cousins are going to come back with reinforcements and beat the snot out of me when I'm vulnerable. Did I make it better? Oh, I, I may have gotten even. I may have earned my respect. But now I've made the problem a lot, a lot worse. Number five, sometimes we can become double-minded. That means we can become a hypocrite. It may have started that they offended us, but what we do to get even, we actually become a worse monster than they ever were. Sixth thing is, we can invite bitterness into our souls. Bitterness is a pill you do not want to swallow. The moment I feel it welling up in me, I'll do anything for anybody to get that out of me because I'm telling you long term it'll eat you up just like cancer and then last but not least we can become capable of things we never thought we were capable of have you ever one time I was involved in a prison ministry this wasn't where we did a prison service this was where as a pastor you go and there are people in prison who come to meet with you because it was too much for the chaplain to handle so I was there once, and I remember I was talking to this guy, and this guy, he said something very interesting. He said, you know, Pastor Tom, I was just like you. I, was, I never thought I would spend 15 years of my life in prison. I said, why are you here? He said, I'm here for manslaughter. I went, oh. I immediately went, guard, you know. I'm like, uh-oh, this dude's killed somebody, you know. And, and I, I remember... We started talking. He was a, Stacy, what, what, what is your call? What do you do? What is that called again? You are a paralegal. He was a paralegal. <clears throat> and, uh, and he said, my first fight ever in my life, some man at a bar challenged me. And we got into it, and I punched him so hard in the nose he was just out on the ground. And I remember feeling great until the cops came. Cops came, booked me for assault. And then a day later, I hear I'm being booked for manslaughter. When I punched him, a little bit of his nose bone got pushed back into his brain. And it killed him. He said, and now I am in prison for manslaughter. 
We become capable of things we never thought we were capable of when we fight like the world. Amen? So, James says, let's talk about fighting like Jesus. And the first thing he says is, submit your anger under God's authority. Submit first. One time when I was younger, that that church I talked about in the beginning of my message, uh, I was praying with the pastor and his wife, and I thought I was doing such a good prayer. And I said, oh, you know, Lord, I just pray that you would humble me in Jesus' name. And all of a sudden, the pastor grabs my wrist and goes, oh. And I see the look on the pastor's wife's face. She's like, oh. I was like, what did I say? I thought that was good, you know? What are you talking about? You know, what are you guys all freaked out about? And the pastor goes, he grabs my hand. He goes, let's pray. He goes, Lord, I just, my, 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 my young apprentice here, he's young, doesn't know what he's saying. I pray you'd forget what he just prayed. I'm like, now who the, what are you talking about, you know? And he looked at me and he said something I'll never forget. He said, Tom, don't ever pray for the Lord to humble you. Pray that you will humble yourself before the Lord. Pray that he will help you to humble yourself. before. But don't ever pray for the Lord to humble you. He will. But it's a lot easier if you do it yourself. So now every time I pray, I got this weird little thing like, I didn't say that, right? Because, <laughs> you know, I'll get going sometimes. I'm not even sure what I'm saying anymore. It's like speaking in tongues, you know. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. What, what did I just pray? God, I didn't pray anything bad, did I? You know? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't commit myself to anything, you know. So submit of your own accord to God's authority. Second thing is, don't give in to the temptation to act emotionally. Every time we get in a conflict, the devil would like to hand you a script. He'll put a whole movie in your mind. Say this, act this way, do this. He, you'll have a whole vision as to how you're going to fight this fight, how you're going to win. The devil will give you a script. And my advice to you, James's advice to you is, ignore that script. Reject that script. And look and say, God, I want your script. I want your movie in my mind. I don't want the enemy's movie in my mind. Don't give in to the temptation to get all emotional. Like I said earlier, we never know what we could become capable of if pushed. Number three, get quieter, not louder. I tend to get louder when I fight. And I'm good with my words. That's what I do for a living. And uh, I've noticed that I get louder, more aggressive. And the angrier I get, the wittier I get. I wish I could have that wit when I'm calm. It would go far in my marriage if I had that, you know. But I don't. It only comes out when I'm shouting and screaming. And I've just had that little tap on my heart enough times to say, Tom, get quieter when you're in a conflict, not louder. Get near to God by confessing your blindness to your own sin. It's amazing when in a conflict, I feel like I'm perfect. They are everything that is wrong with society. They are an incredibly icky specimen of a human being. If only they were like me. I'm just perfect right now, you know. Sometimes we get near to God by saying, you know what, God, this is my enemy. I'm in a conflict. But I realize I could have my own part in this. Will you show me 
so that I could pursue reconciliation or at least, at least not escalate it to all-out violence? Number five, stop gloating and start praying. That's why James says, grieve, mourn, wail. Because you know what the opposite of it is? Gossiping, gloating, and becoming critical. You know, I love it just as much as the rest to gloat over a victory. But why make the devil so happy and God grieve when we can just fight like Jesus fights? Number six, wait for God to lift you up and to lift the burden. You may be praying about a conflict. I remember once I, I was helping out someone with a conflict and I said, all right, I want you to pray about this every day. They called me up three days later and I said, has the burden lifted? They're like, no, I don't feel like the burden's lifted and I've been praying every day. Can I stop? I said, no, you pray until the burden's lifted. They said, well, what if this takes a week? Then it takes a week, you know? You keep praying until that burden is lifted and you don't have the devil's script flowing through your mind anymore. Oh, okay. And then last but not least, don't sit in Jesus' seat. If any of you have been around me any length of time, there's a saying I have. I'm not qualified to be your judge. I'm not going to sit in Jesus' seat only to have him say, why are you in my chair? I found that people who live for selfish desires are often unhappy people in general. Maybe fake happiness. Peel all that away. They're not happy. Instead of being thankful for the blessings they do have, they constantly complain about what they don't have. They can't get along with other people because they're constantly envying what they have and what we don't. And they're always looking for that magic something that's going to change their lives. I may be a mean, grumpy old man, but once this happens, once I win the lottery, once I get the promotion, once I retire, once this happens, this is going to be this magical thing to take me from this strifeful person to this place of peace. Let me tell you, there is no magical something out there that's going to change you. You could win the lottery tomorrow and still have strife rule your life. You could get the promotion tomorrow and still have bitterness raging in your soul. There is no magic something out there. There's Jesus. When I was first married to Tanya, uh, it took me a long time to convince her that most of the time, I was basically right. And and she's got that now, and, and that's why our marriage is going so well. But... One time early on, one time early on, my, my wife did something that made me upset. And so I did something that none of you do. I gave her the cold shoulder. We were going for a walk, and she said, you know, how is your day? And I said, fine. She said, oh, well, how is the church? This church. Tom, why are you being so friendly on me? I'm not. Now, don't give me that look like none of you have done this before because I know that this happens. And I remember, 
I remember that day reflecting on it. I chose to bring bitterness and strife into my relationship because what I wanted to hear was, oh, Tom, you were so right and I was so wrong. Oh, Tom, you really know how to do this marriage thing and I don't. Oh, Tom, you know, if I would just be patient and listen to everything you have to say, I would always come to the realization that you were right and I'm wrong. You know, that's what I wanted to hear, the affirmation. But she wasn't giving it. And I was getting upset. So I decided to do the cold shoulder. And what I do, I invited bitterness into my heart and strife into my home. Did I ever win the fight? Uh, what You said no a little quick. Don't count me out just because I'm short. I mean, you'd be, you'd be amazed at some of the fights I can win when pushed. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, that's why I picked to do this sermon while she was over there. <laughs> Here's the point. I couldn't tell you whether I wanted it or not. This, you know, I couldn't even tell you whether I wanted it or not. What I can tell you is this. Early on, when those seeds of bitterness and strife began to uproot, I hated it. She hated it. We hated it. And you could feel it in our home. Pretty soon, my home had become the home that pastors would visit and go, what's going on in here? You guys got smiles on the outside, but what is going on in here? You guys are wound up so tight, you're going to snap. You could cut the tension with a knife. What is going on? God wants us to have peace not strife, to live in forgiveness, not bitterness. That's his gift to us this morning, that while we may not always have the power to do that, God has the power to bring peace and forgiveness where we naturally want to fight for our rights. Bow your heads with me. Close your eyes. Before we close this morning, we talked about, if you could bow your heads, close your eyes, just listen to my words. We talked about two ways to fight. Well, the first way, you don't really need to be taught. You already know how to fight like the world. You already know how to stand up for yourself. You already know how to take that script and run with it. The second one, fighting like Jesus we're not naturally born with that. We don't naturally receive that. We have to ask for it. We have to ask the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts. We have to ask for God to resensitize our conscience to his voice. We have to ask Jesus to come and regenerate our spirit that is so bent upon natural law. We ask for forgiveness and for peace to flood our lives. And so this morning, just before we close here, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'd like to make a very simple invitation. If you would like to ask Jesus to become your God and your Savior, to fill your heart, to have His Holy Spirit come into you. You're not born with it. Nobody's born a follower of Jesus. At some point, we make that decision. 
The Holy Spirit knocks on our hearts and we say, you know what? I can't go another moment in, in the land of indecision and doubt. I'm making my decision and I'm going with it. Jesus is it. He died on the cross. He rose again. He's going to be my Lord. He's going to be my God. I've decided to follow him. Two seconds after I die, when asked, who do you trust? It'll be Jesus. And so this morning, whether for the first time or you've put God on Pluto and you want him just strong in your heart again, you'd like to recommit your life to Christ for the first time or for a recommitment. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'd like you to just look up and make eye contact with me right now. Amen. 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 Peace, forgiveness, they're yours. They're yours. All of you looking up, peace and forgiveness. You're trading in bitterness and strife for peace and forgiveness right now. Amen. Many of you. Why don't you go ahead and since this has been a theme today, put your hand over your heart. And let's just say this together. Say, Lord Jesus, I trade in bitterness and strife for peace and forgiveness. Lord Jesus, please forgive me of all my sins. I make you my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with your spirit that I may forgive and live in peace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.